420-2022. It is a momentous day as the return of the Zyori Plus One podcast comes back. The numbers line up. I'm sure some stars somewhere have aligned because it's happening. Oh, Shiny and Zyori are sitting down for a podcast. It's my pleasure to host it. And uh, oh, Shiny, welcome to the show. I haven't done one of these in quite some while. So it feels great to be back and it feels even more amazing to have your beautiful face here. Oh, yeah. I love it. It's so wonderful to be here with you. Let's shake it off. You're going to get right back into it. I can't wait to get into talking with you because we've known each other now um, for a little over a year, I'd say. And throughout that time of partying, of gaming, of discording, we've never gotten to intimately know each other. And so now's the chance. Yeah, exactly. And it's so weird how that happens. I think the first time we met in person was NFT NYC last year. That event was a whirlwind for everyone involved. It was amazing. It It was was. almost life-changing. I met so many cool people. I witnessed so many first-time connections, but um, it is hard to sit down. Isn't it nice to witness a first-time connection? You get to see two people hug it out. Yeah. They've known each other online for a year, years. Actually, the party that we attended together, the Axie Infinity party, that party had relationships that had been building for four years where a lot of those people had never seen each other. And there is something just so beautiful about knowing someone so intimately, never having shared that in real life connection and being able to have that moment. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, I've told this story before, but I met my my second serious girlfriend when I was in college. We met on World of Warcraft. She lived in Florida. I lived in New Jersey. We That's ended awesome. up moving in together, dude. I, I mean, I, I have experienced the power of that online That's gaming awesome. connection. And so you know, I, that, yeah. That's an outlier today. Oh, man, I can't <laughs> believe you met on a video game, but it will become the norm. It's uh, the amount of context that we have for other people, when we get to play with them online, when we get to see their profile, when we get to see how they interact is so much greater than if I just saw you in the street in your dazzling dress and I thought, I wonder who that person is. There's not a lot lot I know about you just looking at you in the street. But if I see your social medias, if I play with you together, if we go on missions together, I know you pretty damn well. And it's that context that I think, you know, the next generation is going to just like way more than meeting in person. And we're seeing that transition take place today. Yeah, I mean, for Gen Z, it's it's like second nature. Um, it's it's pretty incredible, and it, it's weird to think back. I mean, I'm only 32. I'm not that old, but when I was in university, you know, over a decade ago, it was kind of a different time. I, I mean, I was really not that nervous about being catfish. It was kind of funny that when I was still with that mm. person, that show Catfish on MTV came out, right. and we watched it together. Is kind of like, wow. I guess we're sort of lucky that this didn't happen to us. But that was very eye opening. Like we really naively didn't consider that that is really a strong possibility so it it is amazing how much times have changed and i mean there is there's a dark side to everything you know we see it with the internet we see it with web3 tools are tools and different people can utilize them with with, for different intentions right yeah yeah you know what i always say to people that are getting into the web3 space right now is that a lot of those easy onboarding tools those consumer tools they're not here yet Mm -hmm. they'll be here in a few years And if you want to come back when it's easier and when it's safer, come back in a few years. But if you're willing to dig in and learn the hard things, you have a lot to gain from being here so early. Yeah. 
No, definitely. Um, so I, I have kind of a unique audience here. I have some old school Dota people, some Web2 gamers that really haven't embraced Axie or blockchain yet. Uh, mm -hmm. And then obviously there, there's a, a lot of Web3 and blockchain Ooh, people. Evil uh, NFTs. Yeah. I'm ready to talk about them. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's important to keep in mind because I do have a, a bit of an intersection there. And I think there's a lot of people that are they're actually in the middle. That They maybe don't say it loudly. They're maybe lurking in silence. But there are people that are curious and th they have made up their minds yet that they definitely understand that it's early they understand it's complicated and they feel like they don't have the time or the bandwidth to really make heads or tails of it so um yeah. i, I well, guess look, yeah for, for people not to cut you off but for no, people you're... that are on the line that aren't quite sure about nfts for the people that are super far away all of those people are going to get turned onto NFTs as soon as it becomes relevant for them. And we were very lucky that we saw NFTs early enough and they resonated with us. We thought, oh man, as a trading card player, I get to finally own my trading cards again. I used to own them in the physical form when I played Magic. I got that taken away from me when I started playing Hearthstone. I wasn't able to buy and sell them anymore or trade them with friends. And now I can do that again. And so trading card players, I think, are going to have a really easy time understanding this. For Axie Infinity, if you could sort of grasp, oh, I have this asset and I can use it in this ecosystem and it can reward me for playing as the gamer instead of just rewarding the producer, that's amazing. But people are going to see this on their own timeline when it becomes relevant to the type of gamers they are. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's totally right. And that's why I applaud some of these platforms like community gaming, where they have Web3 Rails and they're building with that in mind, but they're trying to build a front end that feels pretty seamless if you're a traditional Web2 gamer. And it's almost like you can use this platform without even realizing that all this Web3 technology is underneath the hood. And then when you're ready for it, it's all right there to engage with whatever network you want to. I think that approach is, is really great. It makes it an undeniable experience when someone is using a product and they go, hey, this works really well. What do you guys do to make this work so well? And you say, that's actually the blockchain. They go, oh, huh, that's kind of weird. I didn't think it could, act. you know, like once they experience it, it's totally, it's not theoretical anymore. It, it yeah, becomes practical. Yeah, and, and do, you see, do you notice how your explanation for it was, oh, that's actually the blockchain? Right now, we're in this phase where we tend to say, that's the blockchain first while we're explaining it, or those are NFTs. And that doesn't mean anything to so many people. Like, show me how to use it. Mm -hmm. Show me why it's benefiting my life. And then if I ask, oh, blockchain's behind that. NFTs are behind that. And that's the flow that most people are going to get. Yeah. I also think it's going to be integrations that are sort of a hybrid approach. Like we've learned from Axie, the original model for land was tokenize everything. Every resource is a token. And the more data we've collected and the more time has gone on, it's like really what makes a powerful game is having a balance where not everything can be bought. Some things are soul bound and progression based in terms of time investment and that human resource of your attention. And balancing that with tradable resources or skins or upgrades or whatever else, that's really where the magic happens and finding that intersection and probably for different genres and different types of games that intersection looks a little bit different and I think that speaks to how early we are because a lot of these genres still are completely underexplored you know like Axie's a card game that's that's really great and as you said that really does feel like a good fit but there's a whole lot of other games out there that really haven't quite cracked the code on how to meaningfully integrate NFTs and blockchain yet but I think that balance is is really what we're finding is is going to be key we're even seeing it with Axie Origin too now with the moon shards you know having that one soulbound element really helps um, maintain a, a gameplay priority, I guess is a way to say it.
Yeah, it, we're all experimenting. And if you understand the value of being a participant in an ecosystem and not just a consumer, mm -hmm. um, then you know like it's going to be better over time to be someone who actually owns your assets, who actually gets value back from giving value. But there are so many unanswered questions. How do you build a balanced economy in an open world? It's sort of like building your own country. <laughs> and, yeah. and we're not quite there yet, and we're not going to figure it out in a year. And that's early days. And again, you have the opportunity to participate in those early days and help us define and figure out what the hell we're trying to do here to build sustainable economies of scale. Mm -hmm. uh, or you can just wait it out, and that's cool also, and come join us in a few years. Yeah, totally. So talk to me about your Twitter spaces a little bit. I know you've been uh, taking a hiatus, right? Um, you've really risen in popularity, though, especially over the last year. You've done a really good job amplifying different projects. And I think you have a, a really, you. yeah, I mean, you have a really unique lens, though. And I, I know you talk about it, but um, I think you try really hard to not shill in the traditional sense of that 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 word and, and really just try to amplify projects that have real people behind them um, yeah. and are actually doing things. And that's like, that kind of curation is really important. I think of you as like a digital curator. Um, so what was the inspiration for that? How did that experiment go? And then I guess talk to me about the hiatus a little bit. I, I appreciate you saying that about the show. I mean, I come from day one of the NFT space. I've been here for over four years now. And when I joined the NFT space, there were no flips occurring. People weren't making a quick dollar. There was this new technology and all of us were just curious what the hell we could do with it. And I've been so lucky to be in the middle of this explosion of interest now and utility, people finding ways to apply NFTs to their own life, to better their own life. And in the process, I've gotten very passionate about helping to tell everybody, hey, look, there are people changing their lives. There are people using this technology for the better. And that takes having a very long-term view on the industry. And the best thing that I can do to break through the noise of everyone saying, go to this project or double up on this project, is to introduce you to the people and the projects that are here building for the long-term that you know are going to be there next year mm -hmm. or in two years, let alone like an hour from now when that project you were just getting shilled by your friend got rubbed, right? Like yeah. bringing that stability is really important to being confident participating in this space. And uh, that's always what I've tried to do with Oshiny and the platform that I've been building. It's an educational platform. It's to help bring people in. And the truth is I started it to educate myself. Who can I meet in this industry that are doing really cool things. Who's using this technology in a new way? Who is from a part of the world that I don't get to interact with a lot? What are some of the cultures that I'm not used to seeing? Um, and how do I get to learn about what their experience with NFTs are? That was really um, the, uh, the main reason I decided to get into the O'Shiny show, start having this show. I didn't know that all of a sudden I'd be 150 episodes into it like that. I didn't realize doing a daily show takes a lot of energy, <laughs> but I, I'm so proud of the work that we did. And so we did over 120 episodes in just over, I think, four or five months. And we had the largest daily Twitter spaces on the planet, which is absolutely incredible. Anywhere from 500 people to 10,000 people would show up every single day for each episode. And I want to keep doing it. I want to keep learning about what projects are out there. It's a great way to learn. I want to keep teaching for the people that are coming into this space for the first time, showing 
who's here for the long term, who's building quality. Um, but to do that, I need to change the format because every single day, an hour a day, doesn't let me actually find the most talented people, doesn't let me plan enough. Um, and I also think that reducing the amount of episodes, changing the format a little bit, also brings a different air to it. I can bring a different audience out. I can plan uh, bigger speakers farther in advance and do all these micro changes that I believe The O'Shiny Show deserves to really hit the global population and hopefully bring in as many people as possible into this incredible space. Wow. Um, yeah, that, that is a lot. I was going to ask as a follow-up, how, how do you do that curation? Like, did you have a team of people that helped you identify folks? Is that just a lot of time scrolling on Twitter? How much of that comes from inbound of people reaching out? How hard is it to sort the inbound of people reaching out? Because I'm sure once you hit that level of popularity, you get all sorts of requests of people that want to come on and chill, right? My like, DMs are a garbage fire yeah. like you would not <laughs> believe. And I want to give a big shout out to the incredible people who go through them. <laughs> my, my life would not be the same without you. I, I think being in this space for so long has allowed me to, to, to develop this contact list of people who I know are high integrity. Mm. And it started with that base. Who are the people that are high integrity? Who are the people that have been here for years that are educators already? And from there, getting on their friends and hearing about new projects, bringing them on. And then all of a sudden you hit an inflection point and people start coming to you because you're sort of the only person that's delivering a, a differentiated message in the space, learn, like leading with education, leading with context, being more long-term focused. Uh, of course, uh, I we brought on people to help with the show. Um, a lot of people that listen to the episodes would be familiar with our executive producer, Herb Castillo, who was wonderful for the show for a very long time. And uh, we're very thankful to him. Wouldn't, wouldn't be able to do it without a team of people. And of course, a lot of it comes from following the right people on Twitter understanding the news stories that are breaking every single day around NFTs and blockchain, and then relying on those friend groups and communities that I've been a part of for years. Mm, I see. Okay. Um, also interesting to hear your anecdotal feedback about the daily format. You know, I used to do a show uh, in Dota way back in the day, one of the ones that first put me on the map called the Dota Radio Morning Show. And I did Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And even that okay. I felt was... It was hard. I, I mean, there's way more going on in the NFT space now than there was going on in Dota back then. So that was that was part of it. But um, it was a fun experiment to see how long I could do that run for. I think we lasted about a quarter with a, a little break in between when we were on the road. Nice. Um, and even weekly podcasting, I found that cadence hard to keep up with. And that's why we started doing Axie Tuesday like every other Tuesday. I said, I, I need that week off so that every Tuesday I come back hungry to do the interview. I don't want it to ever feel like a chore or where I don't have right. interesting things to talk about. And I found that every yeah, other it, week it, cadence. Content also, yeah. you know, like if you're, if you're digging into a deep one-on-one -on -one interview, it takes time. It takes time to learn about the other person to make sure you're asking the right questions. If you're talking about whatever topic is hot for the day, you can do it daily because there's always going to be something that Twitter's talking about it, the discord you're in is talking about, et cetera. But yeah, I, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, from co-host to co-host, I, I uh, appreciate the work that you put in. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I want to talk about you as a, a gamer. Um, you actually have a pretty robust history as a gamer, right? You used to play Dota 1, right? You were a Warcraft 3 guy. Tell me about that a little I, bit. What, oh my gosh. what were you Battle into, Net, dude? Battle.net was the greatest place on the planet. I would spend so much time there 
as an early teen, just experimenting, playing all the different games, connecting with people, developing what we now call UGC, user-generated content, building out these maps. Um, I loved tower defense games. I, I loved um, castle defense games and hero games like Dota. But you know, my gaming life starts very early on. I think I had a Pokemon-themed birthday party two years out of three and the middle year that I didn't have it was a Yu-Gi-Oh themed birthday party so <laughs> I always that was like my sixth birthday party my seventh and my eighth and I've always loved gaming um and um I was pretty competitive at SSX when that came out SSX Tricky on the PS2 okay. um I loved Halo and uh, then when I got into Warcraft 3, like that was it. You know, I was I was into StarCraft a little bit, but Warcraft 3 was just the, the most fun game. And of course, I played Dota, but it was always too confusing for me. And, <laughs> and I was never really able to get good at it. So God bless you for um, for excelling in that very confusing long format game. <laughs> it took me a while. To, it wasn't really until Dota 2 when I, I started becoming quote unquote good. Uh, in Dota 1, I was also terrible. I, I mean, beyond bad. I played super casually. I knew that you yeah. had to download the map so that you wouldn't get kicked from lobbies. And I guess that was a cool little filter that did make you de facto part of the community. Like right. If you were... It was like back then, if you didn't know to download a map you were a noob <laughs> yeah you, you would just get kicked they, people wouldn't want to play with you because they would assume that you would feed or that you would just leave the game and then you know a dota match gets ruined once it becomes 4v5 and back then there was no punishment for leaving a custom game because custom games yep. were supposed to be just for fun uh, but man that, i mean that whole story is so wild and i feel like somebody somewhere maybe it has been published in a book by by now but it's just such an epic tale of how that ip was born in blizzard sandbox and they just sat on it for years and years like i remember the first blizzcon at one of the q a panels somebody said hey what do you guys think about games like dota like any any thoughts about ever making that a standalone game since it's so popular and the <laughs> dev was just like you know we think it's really awesome that the community makes awesome games with the tools that we provided that's just like we're so proud of you guys just woo keep it up and it was and just one of those about the tower defense genre also like yeah. when i think about all the different tower defense games that warcraft 3 battlenet had and then right after that how popular they became on the iphone because it was sort of like the iphone had just come out as well during that era mm -hmm. and i remember there was balloons that came out on the iphone it was one of the biggest tower defense games yep. and i always thought oh i wonder if they were inspired by all those tower defense games that came on Warcraft. But, you know, tower defense is not a, a genre I know the history of intimately, and, and maybe it has a long history before Battle.net as well. I mean, it, it might. Yeah, that one I don't know um, as much. But, I mean, that whole Dota, like the 5v5 three-lane model, I mean, that was really born on StarCraft, I think. So it was still mm -hmm. in the Blizzard ecosystem. You know, even Footman Frenzy and all, all these other games definitely could have been standalone little mini game, <laughs> minigames. Yeah, yeah, that God. was that was classic stuff. Uh, did Winter you play? Did you play Heroes of New Earth at all, or like League of Legends? Like after Dota One went off of, because that was inevitable, right? Dota was such a good game, not having it on its own client on its own engine was just a disservice. Everybody knew there was this potential there for this to be a really competitive game, and the first ones to really do it were Heroes of New Earth. Uh, they did it alongside Riot with League of Legends, and they took the games in very opposite directions, with League mm -hmm. taking it a, a little more casual and homogenized, and Heroes of New Earth making it a little more punishing and you know really hard mechanics that it's all about ruining someone else's game experience. Uh, and then eventually Valve kind of took the reins and, and Steam from Heroes of New Earth and morphed that into Dota 2. 
which track did you follow or did you just move on I from Warcraft 3 the, and that was yeah, it? Yeah, I went down the LOL track, but okay. I didn't, I never got really good at it. Um, actually, funny story is that there is this website online where they pair you with coaches for gaming. Oh. And the Pokemon MOBA came out. I don't know if you played it at all. Yeah. And yeah. I'm a veteran. Playing it. It's fun. Yeah. It's a fun game. And like Pokemon is the greatest IP ever. And so playing with these Pokemon characters is a blast. And I thought, why not? Let me just pay for one lesson. And man, did I not have a fucking clue how to play MOBAs before this lesson. <laughs> I did not realize anything. I thought it was like, you're attacking in that lane and that's it. And the hero does some different things than other heroes. But little did I know how much strategy is involved in being aligned with your team, understanding what monsters release at what time period, making sure that you're doing all the housekeeping, collecting mm -hmm. the items that need to be collected, killing the beasts that need to be killed, making sure that at a certain time, all of you are rallying down, rallying up, you're rallying the middle, you're going and attacking. And uh, man, that gave me a deeper appreciation. Yeah. Definitely. They're, they're very high urgency sense of games and, uh, or high sense of urgency games rather. And, and that's definitely something that appeals to certain types of gamers. And there's something about that that keeps coming back, keeps you coming back because it's like you can never play perfectly. So even if you win, you still have that feeling of like, yeah, but I could have done better. Yeah, but he still got me that one time. It's almost impossible to have like a perfect game when you're playing MOBAs. Similar in FPS games, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, what are you playing these days? Are, are, you, are you getting much gaming time? Because I admit, I actually don't play games that much anymore. I play a little Axie. I actually play a little Pokemon Unite. And then I play the game of watching Netflix before bed. Uh, <laughs> I've gotten old, dude. Yeah, I wish I wish I had the time outside of console video games. I also love poker. I love Texas Hold'em. I've played in the World oh, Series, yeah. um, and I've I've cashed in the World Series before, which was a major accomplishment for me. And Dude. so I'm actually, uh, I try to play poker from time to time. I'll play. There are so many apps now. You can get a friend group together. You all put up fifty bucks or however much you want to put up in a prize pool. And I just put, Texas Hold'em is just a great game. That, that I will always go back to. And the truth Agreed. is that Texas Hold'em really was a foundational game for me. It was a game I always came back to. When I was younger, my dad had an account on one of these poker sites. And he used to leave in the middle of a tournament. He wouldn't have the patience for it, like a $15 tournament with 3,000 other people playing. And he'd say, he'd say, Shiny, why don't you go sit down and uh, finish, you know, finish this game for me. And all of a sudden, one of those days, I'm, I'm much younger, and he goes out and he comes back, and I place third in this tournament. I make like $7,000, and I couldn't believe it. He thought, okay, maybe he's pretty good at poker, but this is this situation is not acceptable. I'm letting I'm letting this early teen play my <laughs> poker account, and he's actually getting good. Um, and so we made a pact that when I turned 21, he would take me to the World Series. And wow. so for years, I played poker, and I just loved playing and I was pretty good at it. And then we went together as a father-son duo and played in the World Series. Of course, you're at different tables, but end of day one, so the World Series, it's like day one, half the people get dropped. Day two, another half of the people get dropped. Day three, another half of the people get dropped. And then it goes incrementally from there. And so day one, most the most amount of people are getting axed and him and I, unbeknownst to each other until we walked out of the tournament hall, 
both were like neck and neck on the leaderboard. We both had a, an above average amount of chips and our names were like right next to each other. And wow. I'll never forget that moment, like leaving the tournament hall. My dad and I just survived day one and we were both right next to each other on the leaderboard. It was one of the great feelings and only a game can do that. Yeah, that's uh, that's incredible. Wow, that, that's an amazing story. I I actually agree that I, I think poker is an amazing game, like Texas Hold'em specifically. That that is a game that very much taught me like risk assessment, learning how to play that game, and and really learning it, like grinding like one or two table, like or two or three tables rather at the same time, learning to understand expected value. Like I. I'm, I'm probably not nearly as good as you are. It didn't come that naturally to me, but you get a, I probably put a couple hundred hours into poker, you know? So the more you okay. read, the more you practice, you start to get a feel for some of the patterns. You can start to do a little mental math on some basic expected value. And when you play in tournaments, you experience these simulations that are very much like real life. Like I think every aspiring poker player has had that moment where they're playing in a deep stack tournament and they just slow bleed out all the way down and they never shove or never take any risk on any hand. And <laughs> right. at the end, of it you're just I like yeah my strategy was to play safe and not take any stupid risks and i didn't but i never won anything either and that really sucked all i did was just lose a couple hundred hands for a few hours and then get eliminated um but that is like a really great a parallel to real life where sometimes you can just be slow bleeding on a project and you have to take that risk and sometimes that risk mm -hmm. is positive expected value or at least higher expected value than the slow bleed because the slow bleed is a guaranteed loss um and yeah, that's, I think that's perspective yeah you know that's just one example of like a very basic parallel that maybe sounds silly now but when you're 21 years old and you're not you don't have a fully formed brain yet and you're still figuring out like how to really analyze risk on a high level both personally and professionally um being able to see it in games like that really helps open up those doors or at least it did for me so absolutely uh, it's what games teach you they they are simulations of moments where you're dealing with stress or anxiety or confidence and you get put in your place, you get to perform, um, you get to be lauded, you get to be shunned. And these are all things that help out in life. And to your point, like these games themselves are learning experiences. They have definitive endpoints, but our lives, we look at so abstractly sometimes that it allows us to skirt by. It allows mm -hmm. us to move sideways. And I think playing those games, having that end point, oh, things are coming to a close. Oh, I need to act now. Definitely helps improve our lives. And then on the other side, you know, you have games like Halo and other FPSs that literally imp improve your ability to drive, studies have shown, um, and, and can, can add a lot of hand-eye coordination to your life. Definitely. Um, another one with, with poker that really got me, at least when I was sort of a noob player, is when you make a really positive expected value play where you should win most of the time, but you hit that very unlucky time where you don't win. You know, 90% of the time I win this, this is a great shove, I'm all in. But that guy gets the, you know, the river rack gets that lucky card. Um, and that's a really hard feeling to know that, like, you played it right. You did exactly what you were supposed to do, given the things that you understood, and you still lost. You, you just got unlucky. That's it's fucking life, feeling. bro. That is yeah, life, it, though. <laughs> it is. And there's no more brutal feeling than walking away from a table telling yourself you played it right and being down hundreds or thousands of dollars anyway, even though you played it right. That is yeah. brutal. Yeah, but um, I mean, that happens in business all the time, right? There, There is certainly a degree of serendipity to life. You know, anybody can get lucky, but I think what separates luck from skill are the people that, quote, get lucky over and over and over again. You know, the more times you get lucky, I think that's more uh, demonstrative of uh, 
being able to seize opportunities, you know, identify opportunities and, um, yeah, position yourself, uh, appropriately. Yeah. Where, where would you say on a scale of one to 10, you, you rank yourself, uh, in terms of luck? 10 oh, being the goal. most lucky, one being the least lucky. I have to be an 11 out of 10. Wow, really? Yeah, I mean, just the, the fact that this crazy, weird, nerdy new technology called NFTs that I just so happened to come across <laughs> and think was cool, cool enough to spend my time there, cool enough to spend way too much of my time to tell anyone how much time I was spending the amount of money I was spending, I was too embarrassed to tell anyone also. And <laughs> just have it continue to take my curiosity, continue to take my time until I really had built an amazing community around me and an amazing competency for this new technology and for how new companies are going to be formed in this space, for how games should be built in this space. Well, we're still learning how to do that, but at least understanding the first few steps to take. And here we are. You know, Whether you hate them or love them, NFTs are known throughout the world. And I couldn't be more thankful to be in the situation I'm in today. And it's entirely fucking luck. <laughs> yeah. Wow. No, I mean, that is a, a pretty amazing perspective. And I, I oscillate back and forth because a lot of times I do feel lucky. And then other times I do feel like, yeah, but is that luck also combined with perseverance and getting up after falling down a lot of times and you know, sort of thinking about things in a way that's like, huh, I was kind of right. You know, I, I, I watched blockchain for a long time before I invested anything because I was too timid. But looking back, it's like, no, my head was in the right space. I shouldn't have let people that didn't know what they were talking about talk me out of mining or investing or, you know, buying things or doing whatever I was going to do. But outside of that, it's like, you know, in 2018, when I was trying to make that little uh, crypto geodes game on the blockchain, when I first met Alex and uh, got introduced to Axie Infinity, it's like, I thought what I was making was kind of stupid. All my friends were ragging on me. All my Dota guys were like, you're just looking for a cash grab. You're trying to make some scam blockchain game. This was sort of before NFT was a term. I mean, we just called mm -hmm. the little geodes on the blockchain, like blockchain stuff. Just They were just code on the blockchain. We didn't really have a word for it. We didn't call them NFTs back then. Um, and we gave up because we didn't know how to build the thing that we had designed. And we felt like Axie had already beat us to the punch. Like, look at this amazing IP. They're already doing everything that we're doing. Someone's figured this out. Um, and then here we are four, four years later. I feel so silly feeling like, you know, letting people bully me for having a vision in blockchain and telling me that I was a scammer when I was yeah, really a visionary, us, dude. The things that make us unique and weird that the world tries to beat out of us to be normal. If you just hold on to those things, people will love you for them. People will yeah. respect that weirdness and appreciate those unique qualities that you have. And it's something to remind young people um, because it's so easy to lose those things out of fear, out of self-consciousness. Uh, I remember when I was 13, going and learning about Bitcoin for the first time and uh, going on Mt. Gox, which was a Magic the Gathering trading website, which was trading Bitcoin at the time. That's bonkers. By the way, think about how the beginning of this industry intersected with gaming. Yeah. Right from the start, Mt. Gox was the place to yeah. buy Bitcoin. Very few other places. And they asked for my social security. And as like a 13-year-old, I didn't know my social security. I also didn't trust any website that was asking my social security. So I missed that opportunity. Um, of course, Mt. Gox got hacked. Over 90% of the Bitcoin on it were lost. But still, 
that one opportunity I remembered. And I thought, you know, next time blockchain comes up, I'm not going to miss that opportunity. Thankfully, it happened shortly after that. And I've, I've been either ancillary to it or very deep in it ever since. Wow. Um, any NFT regrets, uh, either buying or not buying? I guess regrets either way. A anything that got away from you? Like, I, I always remember Psych Out, uh, you know, he sold some apes pretty early on that were ended up being quite valuable. You know, stuff like that where... You, that you yeah. can always look back at trades and you could have been maxed it a little bit better. But, um, you know, I mean, some of us have let go it, of, yeah, some wild so stuff. Many. You know, the people, <laughs> the people who have been in here the longest have the most scars, the most stories to tell, even through all of the losses. Like I, all of those have, have made me a better uh, investor, a better trader, a better community member. But of course, like I've had so many more wins. But speaking of Board Ape Yacht Club in particular, I minted 50 board apes. I was the first person to mint wow. above five or six of them. And keep in mind, they were 0 0.08 ETH, so a couple hundred dollars each. And uh, now they're worth an average of $350,000 each. And I had 50 of them at one time, but sold them off. Uh, almost all of them. I still have one of the ones that I minted. And I have a couple others that I was able to get since mint happened, you know, nine or 10 months ago. But I just didn't understand what the project could be. I was excited about doubling my money, quadrupling my money, eight times my money. Oh, I'll sell some here. I'll sell some here. I'll sell some here. I'll sell some here. I'll sell. I don't have any more to sell. And then it goes like that all the way up, <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah. so that's definitely a regret. I think in this game, the dead man's wallet wins. Don't touch it. Watch it. Let it rise. It's so hard to think that you're going to make all the right moves, that you're going to be that great trader that makes the right flip. Like if you believe in something, just hold on to it. That's mm -hmm. my advice. Yeah, no, that, that is, that is good advice. And well, uh, what about yourself? Any, any major regrets on trades? You know, not nothing too big. Um, I overpaid for my Megatoad. That, that one is, is a mini regret just because when Megatoads <laughs> happened, they're related to the Subduck project. I was with Cloud White uh, before that Axie meetup. I think it was in Miami. And I watched him mint the first Megatoad and I mocked him profusely. I was like, this is the stupidest thing ever. You're just like, the miners win at this game, dude. You're just a transaction <laughs> all over the place. What is this? And I didn't get it. And then a few months passed and I couldn't get this Megatoad out of my head. And I felt like I had to mint one. I think I minted 671 or something in there. There's only a thousand of them, right? Um, and I, I made a cool one. It's all pink. It's got the mad lip size and stuff. It's, it's pretty wild. Um, I, I paid more than I... I I should have, but I really like it. The DIY mm. NFT, the hunt of finding the right parts. That's like, what matters. If you like it, you like it. Yeah, it was so cool. Uh, so it was a regret not doing it earlier and also a regret just making an ass out of myself, like not being open-minded about it and instead just mm. immediately going to like, hey, Cloud White <laughs> and, and like poking fun at him. When, of course, uh, he was he was totally right. You know, he was on to something and he was just ahead Cloud of me. Cloud White, he's always right. And he's the reason I got into Axie. Yeah, uh, I wow. was able to talk to him very early on, and I'd seen Axie, but I hadn't gotten it. I wasn't convinced about it. All of a sudden, he goes and gets a tattoo on his back. There are only a couple hundred people <laughs> in the Axie community, and this man was wild enough and out of his mind enough to get a tattoo of an Axie. The game had barely any sales. No one was supporting it. He has a tattoo of it on his back, and I thought, you know, anyone who's crazy enough to do that must be willing to do it for something worth spending five minutes of my time. And yeah. those five minutes 
turned into 500 hours, turned into being uh, in a part of an incredible community of early adopters in the NFT space, you know, and, and uh, I'm so thankful that he was able to pull me in with his craziness. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, my, my only other regret, like in the, the blue chip universe, uh, I had an opportunity. I was trying to find someone to split an ape with because I couldn't afford one myself when they were around 30 ETH. Um, I kind of wish I had just sold some things and just gone for yeah. it, obviously, because apes have, like, I really underestimated it. A whenever lot of people. That, whenever you have that, oh, maybe if I just split it with someone, it, you know you're on to something. Just like, do it. Just do it. Yeah. Just, out a way to do it because I hear those stories all the time and they're almost entirely right. Like people had the right idea. They knew they wanted to do it and they just didn't want to sell something or they didn't have conviction enough to do it themselves. Yeah. They, you just got to go for it sometimes. Yeah. I, I like my clone X. I actually do feel like it's a pretty good avatar representation of my residual self-image. So very satisfied with that one. Um, and it, it's done well with the drops and everything. But I really wish I had bought a doodle. I, I still think it's early on doodles and they're going to go far. Uh, that's like the next big ticket purchase I have in my sites, but I, I really need to save up. I, I, need, I, I bought a lot of stuff last year. I, I got to Got to slow down a little. I bought a lot of Axie collectibles as well. I think I'm good on Japanese Axies for a while. But um, yeah, doodles are way cool. Again, with Cloud White, I remember him saying, like, I really want to buy a doodle. And I said, I don't know, man. There's a lot of doodles out there. And that was maybe one of the stupidest things I've ever said in my life. And now I'm looking at doodles like, God, I wish I had one. And I look at some of the really prime ones yeah. and I'm like, man, this is this is a really cool collection. I like what this represents. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to the right guy. I mean, you've got a a super badass doodle, right? That is that still your PFP? It's still my PFP, and I'm just so lucky that the artist behind Doodles, Burnt Toast, uh, made me mine custom to look like me, which is incredible. I think either I told Cloud White about Doodles or somehow he ended up in the Discord in the early days, but I knew the founders of Doodles before they launched. Um, and I remember trying to convince one of them to quit their job and focus on doodles full time because I knew the artist was special. I knew the art was special and I was there helping them build community. And I was one of the first people in that discord, firing people up, getting them excited about doodles, uh, getting myself excited. I'm so lucky now to be a, a pretty big holder of doodles and I just love what they stand for. Also, it's all about inclusivity. They were really the first um, PFP project to go big to talk about inclusivity and to be a, an amazingly diverse set of characters and to be accessible to all different age groups, a lot of different aesthetic preferences. Bordy Yacht Club is amazing, but it only fits a certain type of person. And I think Doodles appeals to a lot more types of people and that's what makes it special. And of course, I don't know if you saw what they did for South by Southwest. Oh. Dude. That incredible experience. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, I, I really like the Doodle team. Shout out to them. Um, and uh, I just can't wait to see what they have cooking as well. Yeah, I, you know, I was going to attend South by South, uh, Southwest. I was moving in that time, and I could have gone, but I took some extra days to move. I don't regret it, but that event was so awesome, and I, I wish I could have seen it in person. It was really uh, motivating in terms of what you can do in, in a physical space and really build it out, and um, I, I, would I hope that that thing um, is, like, reusable so we can see it at future events i want to experience yeah. the uh the, the doodle the, the doodle madness because that was so cool and uh yeah i, I think that is maybe my biggest regret I, I really think doodles is is badass and uh yeah i'm, I'm working on it I'm, I'm keeping an eye out if uh, the floor falls i'm coming for you doodles look out i just got to find <laughs> a pink one a pink one that matches me <laughs>
<laughs> anyway, um, gosh, where are we? You got me thinking about doodles and all these other uh, NFTs. Anything else you got your eye on these days? Uh, any other projects uh, that, that are, are high on, on your, your watch list or uh, worth a shout out? Mm. Mm, yeah, I mean, I try not to shill, you know, I, there, there are a lot of projects I have my eye on. Um, but really, at the end of the day, uh, what I recommend anyone doing is going into their discord of the project that you like, and figure out if it's a group of people that are nice, that mm. are your vibe, like start with the people because they're the ones that are going to be the advertisement for that project. You know, they're the ones that are going to be out there selling it. Um, try going into a Discord and asking a question. Does it get responded to? Do people say hi? Mm. Um, and of course, figure out sort of what's the reason for being with that project? You know, like what's their goal? What, what are they trying to create? Is it a product? Is it um, uh, something that will turn into an avatar? Is it a clothing company? Like Azuki's trying to do a clothing company, you know? Mm -hmm. Is it a media company? Are they trying to do films and comic books like Punk's Comic is trying to do? There are so many different types and it's not just about hyper excitement. It's about, is this really a community I want to join and, and something I can see actually happening? Because right now we're in this phase of excitement and all these projects are brand new, but eventually they're all going to have to have their own product offering. They're all going to have to have their own company direction. And you need to make sure like, oh yeah, it's cool now, but am I interested in being a part of this media company? Am I interested in being a part of this clothing company? Like make sure that aligns to you. So no direct um, PFPs that I love that I want to shout out, but take that time. I and, love and, that, uh, dude. No, that, that was a, a perfect answer to a bad question. I mean, that, that is really, really good advice. Uh, that's totally universal. Um, that was what the, the esports manager we have, uh, Stuart. Shout out to Stuart, our, our, our hardworking esports manager that watches every single Axie tournament and collects the data. Um, he, he's our guy, and he is, he's new to crypto, right? He got into really NFTs and blockchain when he got into Axie and wanted to do a career shift. And I think he's bought one NFT, and it was a collection for a band that he likes, and it comes with free concert tickets, and there's different tiers with the rarity, cool. and you know some of them are like outings with the band or like interviews, all this kind of stuff. And he's so proud that what he paid for it, I think for the Mint, is worth uh, like less than the value he's going to get in terms of free tickets and merch and all this other stuff. So it's like, to me, that's a really cool, he's got one NFT, it's one that he cares about, and it's one that actually provides value for him. I love it. That's what this shit's all about. You know, I, I love that story. Exactly. exactly. You know, I was talking to someone on my show a couple months ago who was one of the first Drake fans. They had an OVO tattoo on their forearm. And they had been Drake fans for over a decade. They used to go to shows where there were 60 other people. And Drake doesn't know their name. Drake doesn't even know they exist. That's one of the magical things about NFTs. If Drake had said, hey, I'm giving all my first fans this OG badge. And of course, the bigger I get, like I appreciate them and the work that they put in as fans and I'll reward them. That's the world we're moving into, where that person who's been a Drake fan will get acknowledged for it because they were legitimately sad Drake didn't know them. And of course, like everyone wants Drake to know them. But at the end of the day, if they were there as the first 60 people, Drake's now a household name all over the world. Like it'd be cool to get some acknowledgement. And I think as a creator trying to connect with your fans, I, I think you'd be happy to do that also. That's that's what it's all about. It's all about connecting with people. And so shout out to Stuart finding an NFT that was right for him. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely think this future creator economy definitely will be all about collaboration and the fan tokens will evolve and are evolving beyond just like a collectible that's representative of your fandom, but really a ticket to some little bit of ownership of that universe. Maybe not in the form of like equity ownership or profits, but having a little bit of creative control or being able to make creative suggestions or being able to participate in alpha releases and you know be part of that process before it goes out to the masses. All of or, these little things. What about this? What about, oh, you're a Drake fan? I'm a similar artist who wants uh, all your fans. I'm going to airdrop you free shit. I'm going to try to incentivize you to get to my show. And so for just by showing the interests you have, other people can see that and reward you for it also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a, a really good point. I mean, de definitely... Uh, there, there is a network effect there. The cooler the club is, the more cool people want to join the club and the more that makes other people want to join the club and uh, the, the wheel kind of turns. Um, it's an interesting cycle. And it is, I, I often advise people, you know, I, I, I launched my dreads. I've sold maybe about a third of them. And, you know, we have like a book club that we've started. And I think there's going to be like an, an exclusive meetup and an event this year for dread holders that a bunch of us are probably attending. And I'm slowly building out these little utilities. And you know, I didn't want to overpromise with it. But I always caution people, like, have a plan. It, it's harder than you think. Managing a community, like a VIP community and adding utility oh, to stuff. Turn. In an instant. <laughs> it's dude, it's a commitment. And it's it's like a baby, you know? That's kind of how I feel about it. It, it reminds like that's how Jiho uh, mentioned the Ron token to me. Like I feel like we're we're bringing another child into the world that we have to care for and that we're responsible for and I'm ready for it, but there's some gravity to this, you know? Like launching a token is no okay. small thing. It's a big deal. And uh NFT collections I, I think are kind of similar. Um do you think like, is there a world that we get to where there's too many NFTs? You know, I don't think we're even close to it now, but is there a point where I, I reason it both ways, where how 10K collections, oh, there's billions of people. Um, do we're we already, already have there. too many, you think? Yeah. There are way, way too many, but there will always be way too many. You know, yeah. it, it, the biggest pro of NFTs is also the biggest con. It's so accessible. Anyone can use it, which means... Everyone gets the upside in participating in the ecosystem. Everyone gets the downside of way more noise than there is signal, way more bad quality than there is good quality. And that doesn't mean that we won't see the best projects that are still yet to come. Mm -hmm. I assume they are. I assume the you know Amazons and Googles of the dot-com era for NFTs haven't even arrived yet. And if they have, maybe one or two out of 20 or 30 of them. But yeah, I mean, just based on how easy it is to make NFTs, there are way too many. There will always be way too many. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess my, my thought is how does it scale with, you know, if mainstream adoption kicks off, a 10K collection actually isn't that much. I know there's a, a boatload of, of duplicates and um, I guess... I don't know. It, it, it makes me wonder how it all scales, I guess. Um, I also wonder, any thoughts about a solution to like piracy as it relates to NFTs and stuff? Like It really sucks when somebody takes someone else's art and then mints it as a fake collection, and then like that's the, the downside of immutability, right? It's on the blockchain forever. Um, yeah, a lot of people sort of. think that NFTs are about ownership, and to me, ownership is secondary. They're about participation. You can't copy participating in something. Maybe that's that ticket that Stewart got. It's an NFT that provides access to a concert, to meet and greets. Someone can copy whatever that NFT image is, but they don't get that utility. They don't get that ability to participate, right? That, that's only Stewart. And so I think if you're using an NFT, 
use the medium, use it for participation. And for artists, how do they connect directly to their audience? How do they unlock something where now they're communicating and giving value to those people that are participating, whether it's just buying a work and saying, come to my shows and this work unlocks that. Okay, well, then it's more than just a piece of art now. It's more than just something I can right click save. Um, and then outside of that, you know, provenance is key. You can look at the chain, you can see where it's from. And the people that really care about buying something that's authentic, you know, they'll they'll do the work to make sure that they're not buying just some fake copy, but it's also up to the marketplaces to make sure that there are no copies. And, you know, there's going to be a whole spectrum of marketplaces. They're going to be open bazaars where you can buy a fake just as easily as you can buy the real thing. And they're going to be highly curated marketplaces that only allow five people at a time to sell on them. And it's up to the consumer to decide how trustworthy they want the marketplace or how many options they want. It's always that type of trade-off. It, it sounds just like the real world. You know, there's always going to be knockoffs and black market uh, copycats and we can do our best to police them, but it's always going to be a cat and mouse game and the real buyers yeah. care about having the authentic thing and they go out of their way to get the authentic thing. And occasionally exactly. people get got, uh, but that's like, you know, blockchain doesn't solve for the human condition in its entirety. It's just another tool that, you know, as you, I like trade-offs. That, that's actually a really good framing. Exactly. And look, I mean, I live close to Canal Street in New York City, and some people would prefer going to Canal and getting the knockoff. Like, sometimes you get a ton of value from getting the knockoff. Um, and and uh, it's really, up again, it's up to the consumer. And uh, the people that are really um, connecting with their audience, allowing them to participate, the, those buyers will seek that out. Those buyers will want the real thing every time. Yeah, that's... Uh... Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Um, I like that participation. Um, all right, that makes me feel like I'm onto something with my book club. That's a good first start. You know, participate. We get to participate in a thoughtful discussion. Um, to me, it's it's hey, also an efficiency point. I wanted to read more, so why not encourage other people to read more and make it an activity? And then you have this social peer pressure to to actually hit deadlines and read books, which I feel like is is objectively good, even if you don't show up to the the conversation, but you read the book. I still feel pretty good about it. I still feel like my club delivered you some value. So anyway, that's nice. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm for it. I'm for it. And um, the, the best thing people could be doing right now, by the way, is making their own clubs. Like just start a freaking text thread with your friends and talk about NFTs. Talk about the shit that you like and how those worlds are coming together. You don't need to buy something. That's never the right first step. What I like to tell people is first learn all the ways that they can lose money before they think of the ways they can make money and they'll protect themselves against a lot of heartache and mistake in this industry. You know, the other thing is if you're just starting out and you want to know where to begin, go and work for someone in this space. I'm not talking about a full-time job. There are so many job opportunities that are contract-based that are short-term in this space. Go into Discord groups, go into Twitter DMs and figure out what people need. I'm yeah. telling you, it changes your relationship with the space if you make money in it. All of a sudden, you have a different understanding. It's not just about buying and flipping and following um, you know, the trends. It's really about, oh, I need to connect with people. There are jobs to be done. There's an ecosystem to build. Definitely. 
that that sounds very similar to the the starter advice I often give people, which is take a hundred bucks, throw it on Polygon, and just start playing around. Just start swapping some tokens, try some different pools, you know, do some LP. Just get a feel for it and start to get that sense that your wallet is not going to bite you. Get comfortable signing transactions, and yeah. it's amazing that you can do that now in these different sandboxes where it's it's fast and affordable to just mess around with you know some nominal amount of money, fifty bucks, hundred bucks, something like that. It's it's not about investing as much as just investing in your time and uh, your knowledge and, and getting comfortable and um, make demystifying the technology. There's something about human psychology where we're all always a little bit apprehensive to doing it the new way. All things equal, you'd rather just do it the good old-fashioned way that you know how, and it, it takes some of that discipline and logical effort to get over that and push and say, no, this is a better way, and it's worth learning, and I'm going to learn it because this will unlock more efficiency. Like that... That is hard. That is that doing that that process in and of itself is uh, is a bit of a skill, I think. Yeah, keeps your brain young. <laughs> <laughs> Good way to say it. Um, so, getting towards the end here, uh, anything that you feel like is um, underutilized in NFTs right now? Like, I follow somebody who's trying to get into like the the NFT movers. Um, you know, like dancing. I, I think music is starting to find Love a place that. on the blockchain. Anything yeah, else? Think, like, should I publish my next book on the blockchain? Like, any crazy innovations that that you're you're envisioning here? I think that we are so underexposed to niche communities um, in uh, the NFT space, and that doesn't mean that those niche communities don't exist. It just means people haven't tapped into it. Where are the foodies? Where are the yogis? Where are the travelers? Right? Like, where are the activists? Actually, there are a lot of wonderful activists in the space, but I, I think bring your passion and you can be one of the first people to start up a community in the NFT space for that passion. And when you're here on the ground floor talking about that passion, every time someone new comes in with that passion, they're going to join you. It's the perfect opportunity. And so, yeah, there's, there's so many things to get into. I think um, I'm particularly excited now about DSI, decentralized science. And... Oh. There are scientists coming together and sharing data like never before, sharing results like never before, um, decentralizing um, data so that you actually own your health records. Like that's some crazy shit that we don't own in America, at least. Um, so, so, so many different topics that deserve to be here but aren't yet that you, the listener, can start right now and crush. Yeah. Wow. I do feel like NFT collections are perfect for restaurants. Like they have a product with regular customers that people like. You can reward regular customers in a way that has awesome. a value proposition. Of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, uh, bands as well. I mean, I think that's another one where the collection is just perfect. You have all these fans. They're, they're right there. You have a product that they already spend money on. They want more access to you. Um, it just, yeah, it, it all flows together. But um a, a big, bright world ahead of us. Still a lot of building to do, but uh, I love that it's getting more real. You know, I love that the we're, cycles we're are... We're still on the ground floor. And, yeah. you know, to come back to a point I made earlier today, if you have the time to do the work and dig in, yes, it's confusing. The consumer tools aren't good yet. The onboard and offboard ramps aren't there yet. And that means that most people aren't willing to put in the time. They're not willing to learn. They'll come back in a few years. If you're willing to learn this shit, you are going to be so far ahead of people. And that's the exciting thing. Yeah. 
And you can learn without investing. That's another really cool part. There's a lot of information to digest, a lot of important people to follow, and Oh Shiny is one of them. So very much looking forward to when uh, the Oh Shiny show resumes, whether it's on Twitch or Twitter or wherever else. I would love to see you start a video podcast. I want to see that, uh, that pretty face, that sick outfit. I want to see it on camera, dude. I need more uh, Oh Shiny in my life visually. <laughs> and I am I'm ready to bring you on. You know, I might need some help transitioning to video and there's no one better than you. So I might need to hit you up for some advice. Twitch, YouTube, Oshiny needs to be on all platforms and appreciate the support. And thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, happy to chat anytime and uh, provide whatever support you need, my friend. Uh, have a great day, everyone. Thank you for listening. We'll be doing these Zyori Plus Ones every so often, monthly, quarterly, whenever it feels right, whenever we've got the right guest. And Oshiny, he was the perfect one. He was the right one to bring us back. So thank you so much, my friend. Really appreciate your time. You. We'll see you next time. Take care.